We've, we've noticed some changes in the last 70 days, haven't we? Uh, I don't know. Everybody's wondering what it's going to be, what we're going to go back to being. I will tell you what we're going to be. We're going to be people of the future because God's a forward-moving God. He has a plan. He's working His plan. And I'm going to try to get right in the middle of what God wants us to do and be a part of that plan. I've watched our world through the politics. I've watched them through the finance. I've watched them through all the media trying to say what they can, say what they will. One of the things that I want to declare to you this morning is that I thank God for leaders. I thank people that are intelligent. I thank people, thank God for people that are dedicated especially to God in, in our in our government, but I want to declare to you in all of our knowledge and all of our talents and all of our abilities, men, though we are intelligent, though we've come many, 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 many miles, as we might say, through the ages, I want to tell you men still do not have the answer for the woes of this planet. That belongs to the Father, that belongs to the Son and the Holy Spirit, and aren't you glad we're on a personal name basis with them? I will declare to you that even in the midst of all the good we've seen, this world still needs God. But I want to declare to you it needs God in a real way. It doesn't need God in a philosophical way. It doesn't need God in a religious way. It doesn't need another man-made God because there's a sun, let's have Ra, or because there's the Nile, let's have the God of life, let's... We don't need that kind of God. We need a God who comes and He relates with us and we have a relationship with Him. How many of you are glad you know what that's about? I don't just know about God. I get the privilege of knowing God for who He is for Himself. I love the old hymn. He walks with me. He talks with me. He tells me. He and I belong in a friendship together. Wow. And the joy we share. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're in the will of God, life's a pleasure. Amen. Well, I want to tell you the church has a responsibility in that. That this world needs this relationship with God. And the theme of what I want us to be about is this. The church must become, if it's not, but we must be real. I'm going to wait till everybody says amen. We must be real. We can't just act like a parade. And I'm going to get on my notes before I just go through all this. I've got to get there. I want to ask you to do something with me. I want you to stand. Of all the places that I've used this some, but very little, as far as a, a subject of ministry. But I'm going to go to some of the most familiar verses of Scripture. And I want you to read them with me. We'll have them... Uh, video for you. I want to read the 23rd Psalm. I'm going to ask you to read it with me. And let's watch the words as we go through it, and let's let the Lord speak to our hearts as we read these words. Well, let's begin. Psalm 23, verse 1. Ready? The Lord is my shepherd. Let's stop just a minute. I thought I asked you to read it with me. Okay, let's be heard, shall we? Ready? Go. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. 
He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And maybe you're glad for the promise. It's the past, it's the here, and it's the, it's the future. Amen? I want to get back to the Word of God in realistic terms. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for honoring the Word of God. There is a phrase that has, I think, surfaced in the past couple of three or four years. That it's not a new phrase, but it's, it's common now. It's a response, I think, in most casual conversations. But this phrase is a response to a question or something of that nature, a response when somebody says something, especially if it's unusual, we we respond with this word, really? 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 I know I've caught myself doing that. You say something, I go, really? Really? How many of you are guilty? Come on. Well few of us. The rest of you are behind times. That's all I know. (laughs) The dictionary says the word really as an adverb means actually or genuinely, truly. It's absolute. As an adjective, the word really is used to express either doubt or surprise. I chose the 23rd Psalm this morning to ask a question. The question is the title of my message. Can I, as a believer, fully trust God? Can I, what's the word I just said? Really, fully trust God? And you may say, Pastor, we're back in church. Can I really trust God? Why would you bring that subject up? I want you to know that perhaps the most known verses of Scripture other than John 3.16 is probably Psalm 23. But I want to declare to you that Psalm 23 is filled with trust. Filled with trust. It is filled with comfort. And that's what we love the most. But can I tell you it's also filled with encouragement because there's times when we need encouragement. It is also filled with some major instruction. And so while we may read it, especially at a funeral procession or in a time of of suffering, for the comfort, understand that it has trust, it has encouragement, it has instruction. But I want to ask us a question about that. Do we, I'm talking about you and me and the body of Christ over this planet, do we, and let me bring it and say individually, do we individually really Know the 23rd Psalm. Or can I pose a question? Does its familiarity blind us? 
A pastor was asked to officiate a funeral, and the family came to him a long time ago and said, Pastor, we're going to plan on, on having the 23rd Psalm, and we're going to begin uh, singing. Our family is going to begin singing at the second verse. Would you introduce it and then begin us with that verse? And the pastor told late, lately, he said, Sure, I'd be glad to. But he said when he was told that with the family, he didn't have his Bible, and he started trying to quote it, and he confessed that a dozen or more times he would say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and he never could remember the second verse. So just sit still, freeze, don't move right now. I don't want you to feel guilty, and I don't want you to, of course, confess your sin here. But how many of you have tried to quote the 23rd Psalm and miss it and miss it and miss it? That's why I said freeze. I can get started. I know sometimes I can just go right through it. Sometimes I get, well, well, no, that verse belongs down here or it's here. And okay. So you can really believe that. The pastor can't always quote it. I've got to work on it. <laughs> aren't, we, aren't we so mesmerized with, our, with the world and its pressures that sometimes the simplest things can sometimes go beyond us? The trust of God must be settled before the grave. This trust in this God of the 23rd Psalm must be settled before the grave. And let me come to the believers, especially the trust question must, makes all the difference. This trust question makes all the difference in how others receive your life and your witness. So if during our travel on this terrestrial ball, if we say we trust God and then a COVID-19 comes and we go, oh, what's going to happen? Oh, 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 if that's our reaction, then Christianity is not real to a world that needs it. How's that for a stunning something to say on the Sunday back? I want to tell you something. Our world, ladies and gentlemen, needs us to live this in living color. In living color. David was wrestling with the question, is God really real? Can I really trust God? Can I truly believe in this God? And here's why. As we have had in our times before, David was in a time at the 23rd, writing of the 23rd Psalm. He is wrestling with this question because the promises of God at that time seemed to be not working. How many of you know I'm going to really get real this morning? Seemed like it wasn't working. And the providence that's promised in the 23rd Psalm, the providence of the surroundings, that all that that David was promised and what he was writing, his surroundings were running contrary to the promises. They weren't only not happening, they were almost going in a reverse order. Have you ever... In the last several weeks thought, this isn't working out right. Lord, what about this promising? And David had lived long enough to be tested. He had lived long enough to have enemies. How many of you know we all have enemies? I wish it weren't that way. 
I wish everybody loved me like my mama. I really do. I start to say like my wife, but that can be tough sometimes. Thank you. You're welcome, darling. <laughs> he, he had learned enough to experience, and we can rationalize it, and we can run back to it. He had learned enough to experience fear. And David had been around long enough to make some major mistakes. And Satan will take your mistakes and your past and let a situation come where your future's questioned. And the first thing he'll do is try to paralyze you again with fear. With something that should already be settled. David is actually going back, when he writes this, to the history of Israel in its past. For this people of all people that's ever existed on this planet purposely taught about their lineage. They taught their children their history, the Judeo-world Christian value. They taught them the Ten Commandments. They taught them the laws. If any nation taught their children, thank God for Israel for taking responsibility as parents and grandparents to say, this is what we believe and this is why and this is how we want you to live. David's remembering that. And he relates with what they had done. And he relates with what they had come to know as great trust in the Lord. So David rehearses that so that he might too say in a sense, I don't know what this future is. I don't even understand the presence. But the Lord is my shepherd and I confess that's enough. I shall not want. You got to get there. Amen. As we travel through 23rd Psalm, there's lessons. And David takes hold of specific promises that I want to share with you this morning. I want to trust that God will fill every one of these promises in our hearts today. Watch these promises. Let me come through them pretty quickly. First promise is this. God said, I will meet all your needs. Let's ask ourselves the question, do we really believe? Do we really live that sense of security and absolute promise in the midst of a COVID-19? Can the world tell that we believe the Lord is my shepherd and he'll meet all my needs. <laughs> this is characteristic of a shepherd. The Lord, this is the Lord. This is not some second rate God here. This isn't a small G God. No, this is the Lord. This is Yahweh, Jehovah, Elohim. This is characteristics of a shepherd. He knows everyone, the scripture says, individually. I want to declare to you in this sanctuary and on Facebook all across this world, God knows you. He knows where you are. He knows what you think. He knows what you're going through. He even knows the thoughts, the intents of the heart. You're not here by accident. He put you here for a reason and he knows you individually. And he knows every individual's temperament. Why did you go negative when I smiled? He knows our temperaments. 
Here's what's amazing. He loves us. Wow. And he knows our tendencies. Doesn't he? He does. David had been a shepherd. So when he wrote this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, this experience coming from him is this. I remember when I was a little boy, we moved to the farm when I was six. I learned real quickly that I was responsible when school was out in the afternoons, especially in the fall and winter, all the way through about March or April. It was my responsibilities to go take care of the cows. I had to feed them. Hey, I fed them grain. I had to milk the cow, separate the calves. It was my responsibility because Dad didn't get home till after dark. I did that for years. I can tell you something about taking care of, of cattle or taking care of animals. I would watch them. You get to where you know them. There'll be some who are aggressive. There'll be some who are slow. Some will actually almost run over you if you have a bucket of feed or a block of hay. And some will just sit back. They're all different. And, and what was amazing, some of them would push the others out of the way and not let some of the others get something to eat. Sounds sort of like human beings. Uh, no, no, couldn't be. They would, I'd watch them. And those that get shoved out, I, I would feel sorry for them. And I'd tell you what I'd do. I'd get those who are pushy, get them busy, and I would personally feed those that got pushed away. Aren't I wonderful? Boy, let me tell you, that calf and cow thought so. I mean, I'd get their vote more than I'm getting right now. <laughs> I would personally see that they were nourished. David knew God was a good shepherd. Interestingly, watch this as human beings. We want God to know us and visit us and be part of our world when we're in trouble. Boy, we look for him and we go, God, and we cry, Lord, do you know what I'm going through? Lord, do you have any idea what's happening? God, why was this coming? I thought you made these promises. Lord, because of this trouble, I have a need. I want to tell you, David wrote, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Some of you have heard me say this. Most of you maybe. Facebook, of course, the world has it. I remember when I was young, I heard about a little girl that was quoting the 23rd Psalm. And she quoted verse 1 like this. The Lord is my shepherd. <coughs> Excuse me. What is it you want? I've thought about that for years. <coughs> we could take that in the negative sense and, and say, what is it you want? Here it is. But I want to go the kind of another thought with it. The Lord is my shepherd. What is it you want? I would like to say, what is it? God is saying, I am your shepherd. What is it that you think you will ever lack? Do you think I'm less God in COVID-19 or, or in, in war? Do you think I'm less God in the need than I am in the supply? Amen. The Lord is my shepherd. I want to declare to you, David is saying, I can trust him absolutely to provide my needs. I want to declare to you, God knows your name. He knows your address. He knows your social security number. He knows the hairs on your head. And he knows everything about you. 
So are we going to be real and are we going to live this? Or are we going to just be like the rest of the world? Are we going to go, oh, my Lord, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Let me tell you something. God's plan's going to happen, and I'm in the middle of it. He is the Lord, my shepherd. I will not want. I will not lack. But we have to believe that and live that. Secondly, verse 3. He promised to restore me when I fall. David knew the family record of his ancestors. If you'd like a good Bible reading, go read from uh, Genesis 25 through 50. It's the story of Jacob. And we know David knew the record of Jacob. When Joseph, one of his younger sons, brought his two sons, which was Jacob's grandsons, he brought them to bless him. That old man in, in Genesis 48 said this, May he who has been my shepherd bless my grandkids. I want to say this morning, he who has been my shepherd will bless my grandchildren. That doesn't change every generation. Perhaps David took that for granted until 2 Samuel 11. Maybe he took it for granted until Psalm 52 came when he finally hid his face and repented for an adulterous affair that he had. When the king broke almost every commandment, he coveted, he stole, he lied, he endangered in murder. I'm talking about Jacob now. And now, this, I mean David, the Jacob story has much more significance to him. So I want to stop and say something. It's so easy to be critical about other people's lives and you don't have a clue how much they've gone through. It's easy to say, well, I would have done this or would have done that. It's sort of like, before you say something, walk a mile in my shoes. If anybody in this world should be penitent and we should be understanding and we should be have a compassion on people. It should be the people of God because except for the grace of God, there would we all be also. Amen. And so David looked at the life of Jacob and now suddenly, but watch this, we could, we could, we try to compare ourselves and the one thing Jesus said is don't compare yourself with anybody else. Anybody here ever compared yourself with somebody else? I should have said anybody here not. Which is still. I think I can hear David going, but he was a swindler. He was a cheater. He would twist the truth. He was a con artist. And how many of you know that was true? And it took God, can I say, years to get him, watch this, on the right path. But now, he is crippled from wrestling, Jacob. Yet a truly changed, restored, new man. I think a beautiful picture would be, was to see Jacob, if you will, limping on a, on a cane, riding off, walking off into the sunset of the future with his eternity with God because he finally made his peace with his maker. And I, I, I declare later, I think it'd be a beautiful scene to watch David travel the very 
same path. If the Lord tarries and he didn't come in the rapture, I want to ride off in the sunset on the very same path of Jacob and David. How many of you want to finish well? And for a year, David had a conscience that burned in his soul. David was the most miserable man that year of probably anyone in Israel. And for a year, Nathan the prophet daily reminded him about his necessity of communing with God. And then came the light of the truth. Nathan put his finger in David's face and he said, You're guilty of adultery. You're the man. David suddenly knew how desperate he had a need to be restored. And God said, I will restore your soul. God didn't do patch-up jobs. So David writes, he restores my soul. Ladies and gentlemen, hear me. How many of you know that you know that you know you're saved? It's time in 2020. We must live with the message. He has restored my soul. And he can do the same. Thirdly, he leads me in right paths. You and I have stumbled. We've failed. We've disappointed ourselves. We've disappointed others. And then, thank God, by grace, we are restored. And we begin to see what it really means to walk in God's way. One of the things that I, that I don't like at all about my life is this. And, and not maybe everyone. But now that I'm past 25, this bothers me. This old statement, too soon old, too late smart. I think sometimes I must have been the hardest headed, the most immature person till I turned 69 in my life. I didn't get it. Pastor, what are you talking about? If you're past 60, you know what I'm. If you're past 50, I'm going to stop there, okay? Because we, we don't get it. Sometime we don't get it. We, we, we finally get to the place, Romans 12, 1 and 2. God's will is good and it's acceptable and it's perfect. And right in the middle of that, we have peace. And I want to tell you something. When you get right in the middle of God's Will and He restores you. He puts you on a path. I want to tell you something. I declare to you when you're on the right path with God at the helm of your life, let me tell you, life is a pleasure. It is wonderful. No, it's not without promise. It's not without problems. David is not saying that. For some moment, whatever comes into his life, it has to be from this point straightforward. Because in the next breath and in the next verse, David says, he leads me in right paths, but listen at the next verse. Though I walk through the valley of darkness, things unknown, things uncertain, things I can't control, things I have no answer to, there is one thing I can learn. I will no longer as a restored, 
man of God in the middle of God's will, I will no longer fear. Isn't it amazing how it sneaks up on us? We get to looking around, we get to looking down, and we're full of fear. Having lost a number of loved ones in my family and experienced in their home going, I think I've done nine or ten funerals for my family. And those are special moments. But now for a year's having experienced their absence, yet knowing, thank God, yet knowing how they prepared to meet the Lord, now I know, now I know there is nothing to fear. My dad... Before he passed away that morning or that evening, he pulled his big old hand to me and he said, Come here, son. I won't go through the whole story, but he simply said this. I'm going to miss you, but I'm going to go see my mom and dad, my brothers and sisters, and the king of kings. And I said, What? He said, I've been talking to the Lord. He's going to let me go home. I just want to tell you, there's no fear there. There's no fear there. Here's what bothered me about what my dad said. He said, son, I'm gonna, Lord, I've been talking to the Lord. He's going to let me go home. And he said, I want you to let me. I have, I have rehearsed that hundreds upon hundreds of times. And I think what he was saying, I don't have any fear. Don't you have any? Let me tell you, it's good to stand on that kind of a foundation. Isn't it? I wish that every person, every grandparent, every parent, every person that ever expects and wants to be married and have children in the future and all that, live with that kind of testimony. Let it be real. Know that there is now nothing to fear. There's great security in trusting my soul to the great shepherd. Who knows my temperaments? He restores me when I fall. He picks me up. He dusts me off. And he says, come on, Brooks. Let's make another mile. And if you get knocked down and the devil won't feed you, I'll personally take care of you. The older I get, the more I spend time with people, the more I'm convinced that many people, I've watched it in the last two months, many, many hundreds of thousands of people are nothing more than a mass of fears. I mean, fear mongers are all over this Internet. I mean, they are taking advantage financially of everything. Have you noticed some prices have gone up? Is it amazing? You say, Pastor, I probably shouldn't say this, but I I look back and I watch this thing happen and I go, we have a a Bible that promises us eternity and and need for the journey and and restoring if we fall and power and pleasure and, and... Benefit and blessing in walking in His will. And we get upset, afraid there's not going to be enough toilet paper. (laughs) And you say, Pastor, why would you say that? There's no dignity in that. I want to tell you something. We have to be real. Ladies and gentlemen, let's decide. Satan, I refuse to let you bring fear or doubt, or unbelief, and shake me up ever again in my life, because the Lord is my shepherd. 
Thank you, God. Why do we keep picking it up? <laughs> Dave, you know what? I just told him he can't edit that out. <laughs> we develop, we, we develop a, a, a mechanism of coping. We, we hide from others that my life is a dungeon of fears. We, we don't want to be seen. We, we, we stay behind a veneer. But 23rd Psalm teaches us these fears, let me say all of them, every single one of them, hear me, can be alleviated and it's accomplished by really trusting, absolutely, fully trusting the God of the promise. So David says, if there's provision and there's restoration and there's direction, fourthly, he promises preservation. Verse 5. Boy, this is amazing. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. This is, this is preservation. I hope that every time you hear a fear monger and everybody on the news and on the newscast and everybody, the, what's going to happen, what's going to happen, what's going to happen, God will feed me right in the midst of a battle in front of my enemies. I love what Peterson said about it in his rendition or his writing. He said it like this, Lord, you serve me a six-course meal right in front of my enemies. Our thinking when in the presence of an enemy is get out of here. Run, flee, or take the offensive and immediately eliminate them. Or And David says, God... God said, you know what? Right in front of these enemies. Right in the worst day you'll ever have. I'll put a table right in front of them and set you at it and feed you and make them watch. You say, Pastor, really? Yeah, really. I believe God has a message to say, listen, I can cope with them or you and them. I can cope with you and them. And listen, David says in the midst of his enemies, watch this, he's sitting here, his enemies are trying to kill him. God gives him a six-course meal on a table in front of them. And he said, he anoints my head with oil. <laughs> this is amazing. This is amazing. Oil represents the Holy Spirit. I said he knows you individually. And right in the midst of your enemy, he'll feed you. He'll bring his spirit upon you, which means there is power to go forward from here. Thank you, my God. Thank you, my God. And he said, my cup runs over. Can I tell you, when God pours oil over you with the Spirit to give you power to go forward right in front of your enemies. It says, my cup runs over. It means I get a renewed vision and I realize that God has me right in the center of His plan. He has my life planned. Thank God. So, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I'm going to be through in just a minute. He anoints my head with oil in the midst of of a shepherd's caring, the Holy Spirit. He soothes my doubts. One author said, I love the song, He soothes my doubts and calms my fears. 
He brings peace to my mind. And because of that, I am overwhelmed with inspired praise. And so my cup runs over. I do not think that the truly twice-born men and women who really believes that the Lord is their shepherd and they shall not fear, He'll restore you, put you on a right path. He'll always pick you up right in the middle of His will and give you blessings and pressure. I do not think we can help but our cup running over and say, God, though they slay me, yet will I trust you. I'm going to be filled with your power and your spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, God intends that we succeed eternally. Amen. I'm more excited about it than you are. <laughs> I think, no, we, we shouldn't have to be asked to come in here and praise. We shouldn't have to be asked to come in here, raise our hands and lift our voices. And Arthur said it like this. Joseph Addison commented, listen to this. He said, the important thing of this verse 6 is not that I pursue God's mercy and God's goodness. The important thing is this, God's goodness And God's mercy pursues me. Saints, many make that mistake. Listen, don't miss this. I'm pursuing God's goodness, God's mercy, and eventually I'll catch up with God's goodness and God's mercy. I'm not feeling it right now. That doesn't seem like right now. Eventually I'll get there. And let me pause and say parenthetically, truly we are instructed to pursue Christ-likeness. But the great truth is, the Greek word here is radov. And it means God pursues me. It means he runs after me. It means to pursue with intensity. I want to tell you something. God will never lose you by default. We are instructed. God has set His heart, the psalmist said another place, he has set his heart on me. And here he says, he pursues me. That in every moment of deficiency, he gives me sufficient grace. He never leaves me. He never forsakes me. He never throws up his hands to me and say, I give up, I quit. He knows my temperament. He knows my tendencies. He knows my failures. And he said, I'm going to restore your soul, put you on a right path, put my power in you. There's a future. I have it intact. Finish my plan. That's a good message. God is goodness. God is mercy. God is my peace. God is my grace. Take it. Don't throw it back. Let's go on toward a high call. David discovered, as Saul did, who became Paul later, as he did, it's a tough path to trod if you're one running away from God's will. It is a tough decision and a rough life to run away from God's love and His mercy and His goodness. It's a tough life. The best choice is to surrender to God. And trust Him. I want to say this morning, I've been waiting all morning, and, and for, to be honest with you, about four days to say this. I just want to stop and say, thank you, God, that you keep pursuing me. 
How many of you are glad God never gave up on you? How many of you tried his patience? <laughs> How many of us still don't have it all together? But he pursues me. Final thing is this. I want you to notice the pronouns. They're all singular. It's my, I, and me. All the way through it, six verses. I, my, and me. Verse six says, I will dwell. David took it personally. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want to, I want to repeat a guy named Richard Deschardin made this statement. I had a friend since high school call me yesterday. Big problems. Family situations. I gave him this quote. I said, say this to the person that needs it today. He called me. Brooks, what can I say? I said, here's one of the greatest things I think should change our life. Richard Deschardin said this. We are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spirit beings having a human experience. You're here forever, somewhere. We're eternal beings. We're eternal beings. Here's the promise, the promise of heaven. I know where I'm going. 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 How many of you know where you're going? We have a world that doesn't know. We have a world that just for whatever means can't ever be sure. Our world needs us to be real. Generation 2020, we must be real. In an uncertain world, looking for reality. No wonder the word really comes around all the time. We have a world looking for reality. Reality in God. But the scripture says he presents that through us. I want, to, I want to challenge us this morning. Be genuine. Be genuine. Be genuine. Be real. I wonder sometimes we can know each other for years and not really know one another. How many of you know what I just said? I've known my wife. As a matter of fact, we've been married last summer for 50 years. That's hard to do when you're only 30. That's really hard to do. But before we were created, we were married. 50 years. She still doesn't know all about me. And I absolutely have no clue where she is. <laughs> You know it's true. But he knows. And he knows thoroughly. I want us to take his promise today, Christ's legacy, and those out on this broadcast, I want us to determine that if we're born again, we are going to stand and live it truly and not fear, but live in the promises 
because somebody needs to see our message. Somebody needs to see our song. Amen. And those of you who don't know the Lord, there is no other God like Jehovah. We used to sing a song, I loved it, and we repeated it. I hear a lot of people say about new music, they repeat it, and a lot of times it does, but there was one I really liked, and it was a little verse we repeated about eight times, and it said, there's no God like Jehovah. And I liked the way we did it, we started low, there's no God like Jehovah. And then we build, there's no God like Jehovah. And we get there, we go, there's no God like Jehovah. I want to say to you, those out there who do not know the Lord, there's no God like Jehovah. There's nothing to compare to Him. It was like God is so holy and so high. No wonder the first commandment was, don't bring what you make and what you philosophize. Don't bring what you think and don't bring what you make out of fear and pain and all that and compare it to me because... They're nothing. I want you to know Jehovah says, I'm your shepherd. Well, there's been times in my life and my wife, the money was way longer than the month. There have been times when Satan comes in like a flood and we didn't know what we were going to do. And I'm just going to say something here. Because I was taught that my mom and dad, my dad said, when you say I do, son, you do. You know what that means? I expect you to be a man, and I expect you to make your own way. But the good news is he taught me how before he said that. How many of you know what I mean? But today, here's one of the problems I see in our society. When people get up in 25 and 30, and even I hear them 40 years old, They're back saying, Mom, Dad, give me, give me, give me. And I want to go, you know what? I understand problems sometimes, and please don't think I'm being judgmental. But I want to tell you something. Once you grow up, you ought to be responsible for yourself. And I've learned that when you'll take that stand and you'll be responsible for yourself, and you get a hold of God, Jehovah knows exactly how to say, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. When we couldn't afford insurance, hospitalization, and have all the securities of that, our little boys would get sick. The first thing we did, not the second or third, the first thing we did was we took out some anointing oil in our house and anoint our children and say, God, you said, you said, you said. And sometimes God answers prayer like little Chad, when he was little, he had a fever, 105, let me tell you. We didn't have any insurance. We didn't, I didn't even have the gas money to get to the hospital. And sometimes God will use people. My wife called one of the old elderly ladies out in, out in Little Rock, Arkansas. I was youth and music pastor there. And she said, my son's got a 100 degree fever. And the lady said, listen, here's exactly what you do. How many of you know God uses people like that? She boiled what was called onion tea, which I never heard of. And I've never tried it and not going to. It was hot, boiled, what's called onion tea. Ladies, how many have ever heard of that, onion tea? It, everybody may know it but me. Onion tea. She let that cool down, gave it to our son, and I'm telling you, the fever went down. And you can say what you want, but God's in charge of those kind of things. 
I was on my knees saying, God, do something for this boy. And God, I guess, put it on my wife's heart to call her. Aren't you glad just... Life is a pleasure and it's full of blessings when you get in the middle of God's will.